So today we're continuing Rokaha Aretz al Hamayim. And what we're going to do is, as I, I think I mentioned last week, we'll go out of order. I mentioned last week and then forgot, as you saw, because I'm like cramming. But we're going to go a little bit out of order with this to include a topic that relates to the, con let's call it an application of Rokaha Aretz al Hamayim, an example of how we would take the message of Rokaha Aretz al Hamayim and then apply that to, the, to our thinking in different situations, in particular in preparation for Shavuos. So I may try and talk a little faster and avoid some of the tangents just to make sure that we can do that since there isn't another week between now and Shavuos. Um, and I, I found that it was kind of a useful, a useful way of thinking about it. So where we ended last week was speaking about Hashem's creation, Rukah Aretz al Hamayim, Hashem establishes firmly um, the land over the sea. And we said that's not really natural. We talked about Hashem dividing um, in the second day, dividing the upper waters and the lower waters. And in the third day of Bracious, saying that the waters should gather together. And in this way, the dry land will be revealed. And that there's an aspect to that which, you know, other than during earthquakes, which are not as rare as we'd like them to be here in California, um, we, we have an assumption, there's an underlying assumption that the ground is firm even though, in fact, <coughs> the ground is suspended over fluid, over liquid. There's liquid waters and the molten core of the earth, and it's fairly miraculous, the whole concept of the gravity that's pulling down uh, the waters and gathering them together and keeping that away from the, from the dry land, the fact that a lot of the water itself is locked into a dry state and a solid state, which also helps keep the water from overflowing the boundaries God has set with the shoreline. And Radak says, the nature of water is to spread and inundate, and the nature of earth is to sink underwater, but Hashem restrains the waters and raises the dry land. And he reinforces it with the, with the sand. He reinforces the land against the sea. And this is this concept of um, of Rokaha Aretz al Hamayim. If you think back, because by now, like, I mean, I do have copies of the four row, you know. As I brought some for, for one o'clock. <laughs> okay, so this is like a slightly different one because it's based on a different topic. But if you imagine here where you have the state of, of C which is less restricted, and then the water would, and sorry, and then the land which gives shape and controls the sea. So the idea of like there can be homer, material, and tsura, form. Water is sort of the ultimate homer, the ultimate material that has no form. It will just spread out. And land, earth, solid, is the ultimate of form. Not so much material, because the material is really locked up and not usable in, let's say, a rock, right? But it's all form, it's all shape. And so the water shaping the, the sorry, the dry land shaping the water, imposing restriction on it, giving it form, allows it to function better. That's a topic we'll talk about later, but you see that thing that I just said, that concept of Homer and Surah, where the tsura is through restraint, through shaping, through resistance, giving shape to that which is 
the chomer, the, the pure material that's shapeless. This is a key theme in all of Jewish thought. You will see it over and over and over again. You'll see it referred to as din and rachamim, as gvura and chesed. Okay, where chesed that's completely unrestrained and unfocused doesn't necessarily achieve chesed. Okay, and the world requires sometimes also an element of gavura, of power, of being able to know when to say no. Sort of what we talked about after Shir last week, right? Every time you say yes, you're saying no to something else, right? So you have to know when to say no in order to say yes to the things you need to say yes to. This idea comes out, you will see it over and over and over again, that that which is completely unrestrained and unbounded is a kind of chesed that, that doesn't, it's not pure chesed. It's not. Pure chesed isn't true chesed. It's the combination of chesed with gvura that forms real, the higher levels of chesed. This is an idea over and over. Really, we were referring to it without calling it that when we talked about Purim time, freedom of the night versus freedom of the day. Very much the same idea, really. Okay. Rav Hirsch makes... He, he points out that the gavura, the significance, because ultimately we say, okay, the land is, is over the earth, whatever, you know, like, <laughs> that's how he made it. I don't know, he could have made us mermaids, and then we wouldn't need dry land, you know, like, what's this all? It has to do with the fact that the world must be created with the limits and the land bounding and, and setting, setting limits and boundaries and borders for the water. That is the nature of the earth itself. That is the nature of our life on this earth and our relationship with God. Ends up really relying on this is the foundation upon which we walk, literally and also emotionally and spiritually. This foundational concept, it's on this that we can build everything else. Rav Hirsch says, look and see how this is also how Hashem has guided and shaped the destiny of all nations. What do you mean? He says, God put mountains in some places and valleys in other places and rivers in other places. You have countries that are completely surrounded by the sea and you have countries that have no access to the sea. And so the geography that Hashem created in the land itself and the, the topography of the land is actually Hashem's ongoing direction from the beginning of creation directing and controlling and shaping the destiny of all nations, right? They go through this pass in order to have a war, in order to gain access to the water or to the sea or to trade routes, right? They come back. I mean, this is something that's like not even my topic. It just happens to be my husband teaches history, and he teaches it according to this. Like, it comes out the best way to learn history and understand that all what happened is start with the land masses, understand what's going on on the ground, because otherwise it's just like maps with arrows going this way and that way and it seems random. And you don't understand, like, what was this war really about? Or why did they go in that direction and therefore they went through this other place? All, this is what Rafersh is referring to. Rokaha Aretz al-Hamayim is also Hashem shaping the destiny of all nations and, and really setting it in place in advance. Okay, now we start to move we start to see that there's a direction here that, that speaks to us whether we want to or not which is what the Alshech says, Kili Olam Chazdo. Where did we get this bracha from, Rokaha Aretz al -Hamayim? It came from a parak of Tehillim that was a series of 26 Kili Olam Chazdo statements. 
Remember, Okay. So two pieces there. Number one, one must curb his natural inclinations in order to fulfill chesed and in order to fulfill the will of God. We learn this by emulating God himself. And we see that when we keep saying, God's chesed is to the world, God's chesed is to the world also through means of the curbing of the inclination. The water's inclination is to inundate the world. And Hashem says, no, stop there. You have to know where to stop. We also have to know where to stop, where to say yes, where to say no. There's a, a baseline, foundation, right, bedrock that we need to stand on in our Avodah Hashem that says, I have to know where the limits are. And it's limits of taiva, and it's limits of behavior, and it's limits of giving, being able to say, I need to know when to sleep, being able to say, I need to know when to be home and available to build my home. It's being able to say, I need to know when, you know, when there's somebody that I'm not really going to be able to help even by listening to them. So maybe I should give the time to somebody I could help. These are difficult decisions sometimes. Being able to curb, all of these are really coming from chesed. Even the side of taiva and yitzhara can be coming from a chesed. We can, you know, let's call it chesed to ourselves. I want to eat. I want to treat myself. I want to, right? We have to know where the limits are for all these things. And the other thing we get is it's in steps. It's not one whole parak. It's a parak that's made of discrete steps. Hashem created the heavens, kile olam chasto. And he created the sun to rule by day, kile olam chasto. And he created the moon and the stars to rule by night, kile olam chasto. Piece by piece by piece by piece, right? It's in steps. When it comes to being able and knowing that in order to create ourselves and to be partners with God in delivering his will into the world, which is ultimately creation, it's going to be in steps. And each step, I mean, each of those steps is pretty, uh, pretty awe-inspiring. But in our own lives, steps don't always look so exciting. You know, they look like I'm not going to a banquet because I think I need to be at home, something like that. That's not always the most thrilling-looking avodas Hashem. And yet, this is how we build a world. This is how we build a chesed. So you, you've probably heard this idea before. If you look at a mezuzah, there's a name of God that's written on the outside. of the, This mezuzah case is clear, so you can see that on the outside of the mezuzah, on the flip side of where you've written the Shema, there's actually some mysterious letters also, but that's a different thing. But there's also the letters Shin, Dalet, and Yud which spells Hashem's name. I'll say it once for the sake of the educational side, and that will be enough because we don't say God's name needlessly, Shaddai. I say it once just to make sure we actually know what we're talking about because you'd be surprised what, can you, what you can find out years later. Somebody thought you were really talking about something else completely. So that's, that's God's name. It's a name of God. And as we've discussed, a name of God is a, uh, a word that describes the spiritual interaction God is showing to us and with which we are interacting and how we are supposed to respond and understand our relationship to Hashem in that situation and environment. So this idea, it, it goes back to Chazal. What, what does that name mean? Now, it's, we're not asking what, is, what does it mean about Hashem, but what is, what's the translation of the word? Most names of God, most, not all, have some translation, like we've talked about Elohim. 
which is mighty power, right? Like the, each one has a, a meaning. We say Shokai if we're not saying Hashem's name. It's sort of like Elohim instead of God's name or Hashem. Shokai is a is She Dai. That he said enough. Sheamar leolamo Dai. God said to his world, Dai enough. Like Dayenu, Dai Dayenu, right? That means it's enough for us. You could stop there. This name of God means. Die enough. By the way, just I'll throw it in because now that I refer to the mezuzah, the reason you have that name on the mezuzah is because a mezuzah is the boundary between the enclosed space, the dry land, if you will, of your house and all the moving, flowing ocean that's outside of it. Think of your house as an island in a very big sea. And then the mezuzah controls what can flow in and out. It says, die enough. This is the border. We think about what goes in, we think about what goes out. Very powerful. Okay, so, at the time of the creation of the world, Chazal say, when Hashem created the seas, the sea sought to expand itself and to spread out. And Hashem said all the water should gather down, and the waters are gathering, and really the sea sought to expand and to cover the entire planet again and to cover up the earth until Hashem restrained it. Now, ga'arbo, it's a strange word. I don't even know exactly how to translate it over here. It means to restrain, but it's almost like raising one's voice in order to stop somebody, okay? Until Hashem raised his voice to stop it and said, die. Until there, no more. Well, it's a kind of olam chesed yibaneh. The world is built on kindness. Part of that kindness is Hashem told the world, stop. The fact that there are limits on the world, this, this is really, what I'm giving you is like the outside edge of like, I don't know, there seem to be a lot of Kabbalistic works written on this topic, okay? The idea that the world is only able to exist by virtue of the fact that God says to the world, stop there. The desire to keep creating, to keep overflowing, to keep... Anyone who's creative knows that creative without any kind of shaping or focus, you achieve nothing. Mm -hmm. You achieve literally nothing. You know, it's good to have a brainstorming stage, but if you never say, okay, we're going to now, let's cross off all the ideas that, we're, that we don't like, and let's file <coughs> away the ideas that maybe some other time. And let's get this down. Let's narrow it down to just one, two, three possible directions. If you never do that, you never get anywhere. And when it comes to the world, the world would essentially destroy itself if God did not say, die, enough. Kibetzivo tamid, I have the, I like sometimes I write the notes out myself and then I really have the, the source with me. I'll read it from my notes. It's just a little harder. Kibetzivo tamid hu nichsaf, because really, a person, our nature inside, our, our creative urge, our desire to do, to be, to give, that whole side of us that we could, let's say, lump under the category of chesed. The, the opposite of the restraint side, no, I want to hold back. It's the part that says I want to push out. I want to influence people. I want to teach people. I want to provide for people. I want to go out there. I want to produce. I want to see results. Okay, all of that. Now, the world needs that too. 
because you wouldn't have a world to say stop to, right? I mean, you need a Peru Aru. You need to populate the world. You need to settle it. You need to create into the world, but it has to know where. So a person's nature is to yearn. Nichsaf is like really deep yearning. To long, to spread out his deeds, but without any focus and without any limit. That's how we really would like to live our lives. To only do that which inspires us <laughs> and to do it in the moment of inspiration and never have to stop when we're really in the flow of our work and say, time for dinner, <laughs> right? <laughs> like, there's this kind of, okay, so I'll, I'll share my, my example because we've been talking about it. You know, I get, I get really stuck. This is only to my extreme benefit. I'm very fortunate that we have these shiurim because... <laughs> You know, like, hey, you try not to be too much of a hypocrite. I try and share only that which I find useful to me, but it doesn't mean I've achieved it, right? So I'm driving along the other day, and there was a lot of traffic, which meant that as I was going, I knew I was going to be exactly on time. Like, I was going to get to school at 4.30, but I wasn't going to get to school at 4.20 or something like that, which I usually try to because of the traffic issues. So I realized I was going to be exactly on time, and I was listening to a share, and I'm driving, and all of a sudden I had what felt like an amazing insight. And I really didn't want to lose it. And I'm like, okay, I'll pull over to the side of the road and I'll just jot it down. Because you don't want to lose something. You know, even if I don't use it, at least if I wrote it down, I like concretized it, right? And I'm like, if I do that, I'm going to be late. And my kids are going to be standing out there. And not that it's so bad, like if you pick up five minutes late. Like there's still other kids being picked up. It takes time for the carpool line to move. And I thought, you know what? What's my real avoda? Right? So the Gemara says, like, you taking your kids to school, waiting to pick them up, all of that, Right, so that they can learn Torah. This is, this is how we acquire our chilek and Torah. Nobody said, like, I have to sit there learning Torah and writing down my chidushim. Well, you understand? Like, if, this is the choice right now. This is the choice that's in front of me in this moment. I can put something out and feel that I'm creating and doing, and that's exciting. Or I can say, yes, but this isn't the time for it. It's just not the moment. My job right now is to go pick my kids up. So I should stay focused on what I'm really supposed to be doing. It's like a pretty like weekday example, right? But it's a real example. I think we all have these like moments, you know, whatever it is you're doing. Oh, maybe it's maybe you're a writer, so it's a great idea for a story, and maybe you're a painter, and so it's a, you know, you're really in the moment, and you you feel like it's coming. We all have the things where we're in the middle of it, and it's exciting. Or even that you want to call somebody. It could be a chesed. And you're like, you know what? If I call this person, they are not going to be off the phone by the time the kids get in the car. So how are the kids going to feel when they get into the car? So what's my first obligation? It's the people closer to me. Right? I mean, I'm building their world, too. So this is, okay. So our nature is to yearn, to spread out our deeds with no, <laughs> no real focus and no real limits. That everything should be heter be'enav. Everything should be permissible. This is, this is our nature as people. Really, we wish everything was okay. I guess that's the, the biblical equivalent of everything goes. Heter be'enav. Kol asher Everything he wants, he could do. Ve'im yunach ha'adam al-tivo, az engvo v'ktse, If a person were really left to their own nature, there would, I mean, the world doesn't allow us to have that. Right? There's not too many people who can get away with, let's say, what a Hitler did. Right? I mean, generally speaking, society will stop you. Even a Hitler, right? Society will stop you 
the limits of the natural world will stop you, your physical nature. Like, the world actually does have these stop gaps built into it because God says to the world, die. But if there were no limits on a person's nature, there would be no boundary. You would never get to the edge of how much a person would have taiva. It's not like, oh, I just need one more. One more cigarette. One more hit. Next week, I'll stop. There is no end. And it's more than that. It multiplies, because we all know one who has 100 wants 200. There is no point at which nature, a nature that craves whatever it is that we crave. Some people crave approval. Whatever it is we crave and want, there is no end to it on its own. Not naturally. Something else has to come in to limit it. And if that happened, a person would never, ever achieve any constructive action. Until Hashem raises his voice to us, so to speak. He says, not even to us, within us. Through what? Through the Torah. Hashem gave the Torah into the world. And he gave it to us. And the Torah is God calling out to us and giving us gvul umida, a boundary and a limit, a, a, an amount. This much, not less, not more. Everything's permissible in its correct place. Everything has its correct limits and times. And he gives us a limit to all of our actions. And what this does is it's like the shape. If you imagine, let's refer back, we had the letter fe. Right? And so, okay, so we thought about the letter Fe and how it, it creates a boundary within which a base is created. Right? Were you here for that? I'll, sh I'll show you that one. Okay. If you look at a Safros Fe, like the way a Fe is written in the Sefer Torah. Yeah, I have that paper. Okay. So if you look inside the Fe, you'll see that there's a base created. The writing in the version I gave, it's not even so dramatic. Okay. That's a base. You see the white space inside the Fe? Oh, that's cool. Yeah, it's on purpose. Okay, that's an example of the fact that the limit on the outside creates. Oh, you, there's a different page that shows right. it like the way it's written in a Sefer Torah. Do you have that this one? one? Yeah. Okay, so you find a fe in there, like the word nefesh at the bottom, right? right. right? Okay, so you see that the white space in the fe the is the white. Inside the fe is a base. Okay, that's really your image of Homer and Surah, of the shape creating, right? Creation is not complete just by the material being created. That would be like Bracious Baralokimis Hashemayim Vesa'aretz. The Aretz Haisa Sohu Vavohu. The earth, right? The whole world was confused and covered with water and dark and deep. And then, step by step, Hashem creates and shapes the world into the shape that we can live in and produce on. Okay, that face surrounding the base is that kind of example of a shape that gives shape and form and really is the act of creation on the matter within it, on the white space within it, and now you have a base. Right, so is there anything about the letters? Or? Yeah, there is. Okay. It's recorded. So okay, kifufim. Okay. Okay. I'm telling you it's okay kifufim because that's where you can find it. You right. can look what it up. What was the Hebrew version of that when you said um, the idea of the shape? Chomer and Tzura. Chomer means like material, and Tzura is form or shape. 
Right? Surah is associated with din, and Homer is associated with, let's say, chesed. Okay. So Hashem gave us the Torah. And the limits that the Torah provides to us are that which allows us to spread out. Remember we said a person's nature is to want to, it's lehit pashet, to spread out and just extend our influence. The limits of the Torah allow us to lehit pashet again. It's not that it prevents us from, from putting out and bubbling up and developing. But what it does is it allows us to spread out according to the divine will. So that when we're putting out all of our nature and whatever creativity, the wellsprings within us of who we really are and how we want to express that out, the shape that it takes is the shape of divine will. It's like, think about that for a second. Okay, let's say it wasn't water, just to make our, our imagery. Okay, let's say it's liquid jello. Right? It's hot out of the pot. You ever made jello? Right? You make it they still make it hot, right? It's still hot water. Okay, and they're like puddings now, it's cold water. Okay. So you have hot water and you mix it with it and you've got this liquid. So you could pour it out straight onto the counter. And you have a counter covered with a layer of formless jello. Or you can have a shape. And then what happens is in the shape it you pour out and it builds up and it gets higher and it takes a beautiful shape, and when it's cooled, and you take off the form, when you look at it, what you see is maybe a rose, especially in the old days, right? Where jello was like really popular, and you put fruits inside. I was and, just thinking about that. <laughs> right? The layers, different colors. You get something that's beautiful, and even could be taller and greater, and right? You have a shape to it. We all have an inner wellspring that's built into us, who we are. So we all know how damaging it can be if that's really suffocated. Right? If a person feels that like they have no outlet for their true self to be appreciated and constructive, that's a horrible, horrible feeling. It's a deathly kind of feeling. Okay? That's depressed. But if it just bubbles out and goes out all over the place, it's also like kind of nothing. Like then you're, you know, working as a barista and kind of sleeping in the street. <laughs> right? Like you're it's kinda like and never able to get the job, right? So there's this something about if we just did whatever our hearts took us to with no limits and no restraint, either built into the nature of the world or Torah, God forbid, we wouldn't achieve anything. And Hashem in giving us the boundaries of Torah, where we say, well, I'll behave over here till there. I'll behave over there till there. What allows us to do is let the wellspring inside of us bubble out and be creative and produce and be needed and add to the world and gel into a shape that is an expression of divine will. Torah is God's will. This is a very, <laughs> this is like a good one to like, you make a note, you write it down, and this is what you think about when you're falling asleep. Like, because it needs time to simmer. But when you have people too that don't have limits and then they're able to, you know, it, eventually they're going to hit something. And then. Right. Why? Why will they hit something? Well, because Hashem already because put Hashem has put these limits, sort of right. like that topography guiding the direction of and nations. And then they become they can become useless and have really no good direction. Like I'm thinking back to what you were talking about cigarettes right. or drug addiction or something like that, where they just become zombies. But eventually, their body will provide a limit, if right. nothing else. Zom That's they're right. They're zombies, or they're just outside smoking the whole time, and they're not getting anything. So done what we they're not getting anything done. So what we could say, though, is that that limit is nonetheless good for them. 
even if that limit means their heart gives out and they're found dead on the street corner because the cocaine overdose, mm -hmm. right? We could, we could at least get an inkling that there could be a kindness behind that strictness. We don't know how far, we, we just know that, that, that the craving isn't gonna end. So there are hard stops. Now the world, when we talk about nature, okay, I mean, we're looking back, this is God's word as well. Okay, nature is the most constant expression of God's will. That's nature. What the Torah does is it tells us much more explicitly, right? Shlomo HaMelech says, if we didn't know, if we didn't, if we didn't have the Torah, how would we learn Midos? We'd look at nature. We'd look at an ant and we'd see about being, not being lazy, right? We'd look at a cat, we'd see cleanliness. Like we would look, we, there's things that we could learn if we knew how, we could look at the world and understand how we were supposed to live, but we're not able to do it. The great chesed, you know, the great chesed is not really only that we have the Torah. You see how we're leading into Kabbalah's the Torah here, right? The great chesed is not only that we have the Torah and therefore we can become people who have an effect in the world, who are expressed into the world in a form where our actions take the form of God's will. That's a huge thing. That's the, you know, you start approaching God allowing you to, you know, deliver his bracha to the world. Like this is, this is big. That our action, Rav Hirsch says, an action performed l'shem shamayim, truly for God's sake, and, and in accordance with God's will, it's as if God performed it. It will be seen that way. It will be seen as if it's God's hand performing the action, even though it's us. You become, you know, the spoon in God's hand, so to speak. So our, but, it, but it's more than that here. Now we're taking it another level. We're saying it's the inner wellspring in us, right? Now, again, we already learned. What's, what is that inner wellspring in us? That is an aspect of the divine. We want to give it an outlet, but it needs to be a shaped outlet. And the Torah tells us that. But there's more than that. If we, <laughs> so if we didn't have the Torah, it's like, well, just stop here. This is awful. Okay. Giving us the Torah, as Rabbi Akiva says in Pirkei Avos, this is an extra degree of love. This is an extra degree of love. Because you know what? We could have had all the, li the limits in Torah are natural limits. They're as natural as a cliff. It's just that they're invisible. For the most part, for the most part, we can't see in this life, we can't see the spiritual reality. We can't see the spiritual limits. So we don't realize when you flip that switch on Shabbos, the damage that we've done. Whereas if I take a baseball bat and crash through one of the main water pipes in the house, I can see where the natural limits have taken and the damage that has been done. But if I pick up my finger and flip a light switch or you know, put a zucchini into a frying pan on the stove, I don't see the spiritual nature of things. So I can't see the damage I've done. So really, just the fact that there are limits is tremendous chesed. The limits themselves, the fact that there's gevura is chesed. The fact that Hashem has told us about it, that's love. Because I could just make rules and like, you know, you walk past here, you didn't even know you weren't supposed to walk into my space, wham. Yeah. Or I could say, you know what, I need a little personal space. Like, 
please don't come over here. That's because I care about them. Yeah. <laughs> Horrible example. With cleanup with your child, you know, you have to set limits because if right. you're doing it out of love. So what's kinder it. when you don't tell people the rules and every time they they step over it, they're caught. And worse, because with spiritual rules, you may not see the consequences for a very long time. And emotional, look at in our emotional lives. If we, hard. God forbid, if Hashem didn't tell us, don't speak Lashon Hara, don't afflict people with words, right? Love people as yourself. Do chesed, honor your parents. If we didn't see those things, maybe even in the world of the natural now, we'd see the results, but it would be 30, 40, 50 years later. It's very late to fix it. The damage is huge before we can see it, if we see it at all in this world. This is chiba yesera. This is overabundant love that God gave us the Torah. It's not like these rules don't apply to the world. These, this is the creation of the world. This is Torah. It is the creation of the world. But it's as if we got like an extra layer of knowledge so that we could navigate it successfully, so that our, our inner wellsprings can flow out and take a shape that is the shape of God's will. You just remind me of the Grand Canyon for some reason. It's, it's a good image. It's a good image. About how long it took for water to create this. So now think about going the other way. Imagine putting an enormous amount of water into it. So, right. So I was thinking, like, we were back to the spiritual realm. Like, you don't realize each action, how it's carving right. something. Hopefully. Right. It's a different muscle, but yes. Yeah. Each action has its effect. Yeah. Not to mention what a chesed it is if someone puts a railing at the edge of the Grand Canyon for you. Right. <laughs> because for someone who's blind, that's really dangerous. And without the Torah, we would be completely right. blind in this world. We would be stumbling around, you know, essentially canyons, and never knowing where we are. Okay. So Hashem tells us through the giving of the Torah how far it's permitted to extend our influence. He says, actually, it's astonishing that we don't realize automatically that we need to limit ourselves, but we don't. All right. Okay. On the third day of creation, the land was flat. <clears throat> this is the Medrash. Brought in the Yalkut Shimoni Embracious. The land was like a plain, or even like a valley, and the water covered it completely. And when God's word came, may the waters gather, then the effect of may the waters gather, which is not actually active, it's, it's may the waters, let's say, be gathered, so it's passive on the water. So it's not that the command was on the water, so what is the act of creation there? The Medrash is essentially asking and explaining. Harim ugva'os nispardu apne Hills and mountains sprouted up, right, and started separating out all around the globe. And this caused both high places and deep valleys. So hills and mountains came up, and this caused water to be drawn backward to the seas and to collect in lakes in the valleys between the hills and mountains. And Hashem called the mikveh hamayim, the collections of waters, yamim, seas. And in that immediate moment, I guess of being named, the waters took on a kind of pride, 
and tried to rise up to cover the whole land as they had originally until God, this is, this is similar, right? This is a similar chazal to the one I said before, until God called to them and restrained them and conquered them and placed them, pressed them down and said, here is your measure. You must not go less than this. You must not add to this. And he placed chol, sand, geder hayam, as a fence, as a boundary to the sea, like a person who makes a fence around his vineyard. And when the water sees the sand in front of it, it needs to retreat. That's how it knows how far to go. As the Pasuk says, do you not fear me? Even the sea, Hashem is saying to mankind, do you not fear me? Like, don't you know when to turn and go back? Even the ocean knows that there are limits on it and it needs to turn and go back. Okay. High tides and low tides, is that It is, but at a very, very deep level. I don't think it we can go there. Point and then it, if you realize it's the limitation of the moon and, you know, like... Okay, so now what we're going to do is we're going to jump ahead. We'll have a couple more minutes and we're going to talk about Shavuos. Okay, let me just put... I want to stick something in here to hold it. Oh, I meant to add. Okay. All right. Now what I want to talk about here is a little bit to do with this idea of the sand. Meaning not just that Hashem said... Let's take this image a minute. Hashem didn't just tell the waters, stop there, and remember where I told you to stop. Hashem put a strip of sand at the edge of the land, which is the indicator. That is what holds back the sea. But sand, (laughs) sand is like the smallest possible particle of earthness, of landness. Okay, so we're talking about Eretz, about the land, and Rokaha Aretz al Hamayim. What the Medrash is telling us over here, the second Medrash is telling us over here is, how does, it, not how, like how does God work, we don't understand, right? What is the, in, in terms of the nature, what is the system God set up for the earth to hold back the sea? How, in what way in nature does God use the earth to hold back the sea? And the answer is chol, sand. Sand, which is the very smallest particle of land. Not, it's not the mountains. The mountains rising up causes the sea to gather and collect. But what prevents the sea from then rising up to try and cover the land again is sand. One of the things the Jewish people are compared to is sand. Okay? So Hashem tells Avraham, your children will be like the stars in the heavens. And Hashem tells Avraham Yitzchak, it's really Yitzchak, I think, but let's say Avraham and Yitzchak, your children will be like the stars in the heavens and like the sand on the sea, right? On the edge of the sea, which is Yitzchak, which is Gvura, which is the land holding back the sea, right? Okay. There's a message here that we need to take into Kabbalah Satora. We don't have time to explore like millions of angles on it, which is usually, as you've probably noticed, how I end up doing it. We go around from one thing to another, and you see how they all really give the same message. Let's just go straight into the message. There's such a thing as coal, everything. So, for example, 
two weeks ago in the Haftarah. This is awesome, awesome Pasuk. You know, sometimes the Pasuk just, especially in Navi, they just like scream out. They're like waving, hello, okay? You'll see what's calling out here. Veracious kol bikure chol, vechol trumas kol, mikol trumosechem la koanim yiyeh. Veracious avisosechem titnu la kohen la niach bracha el besecha. You don't have to know Hebrew to realize that the word kol is like jumping up and down and waving flags at you to get you to notice that there's something about kol in this Pasuk, right? Veracious kol, this is from Yechezkel Memdalid. By the way, Pasuk Lamed, not that I'm referring you into Yechezkel. Go take out a book with Haftarahs, you'll find it. Haftarah, Parsha Zemor. Reishis kol bikurecho. The beginning of all, <laughs> all of the beginning of all your bikurim, or the bikurim of everything. Vechol trumas kol, and all truma, which is the portion that's separated, let's say, from a harvest, or not only from a harvest, to give to the Kohen, which is how you give it to God. Generally speaking, if you want to give something to Hashem, you give it to a Kohen. Hashem wants to send you a bracha. He often sends it through a Kohen too. Mikol trumosechem, from all of your trumos, la kohanim yihiyeh, should be given to a Kohen. Vereshis avisosechem, and the first of your dough, like when you make challah, titnu la Kohen, you should give to a Kohen, lehaniach bracha el besecha, in order that blessing, the bracha, should rest on your home. Kol, 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 kol. And what is the theme of this Pasuk? You know what all is? There's two directions everything all can be. It can be it's all mine. And the Pasuk comes to say, if it's all yours, Pasuk doesn't say you won't have bracha. But it says that it's by giving that you'll have bracha. Or you can say it's all for Hashem. But there's a little problem with that, too, because if God is sending you food to eat, like maybe he means for you to eat it, right? Like if you give it all away, we're going to talk about this topic a little more at 1 o'clock for those who are there. Okay. What the Pasuk is saying is when you have challah, you take a small piece and give it to the Kohen. You dedicate it to Hashem. When you have a harvest, you take a little bit, a fraction, one one-hundredth, one percent of everything that you reap and you give that to Hashem. When you have money, you take a little portion, you give it to Hashem. And that defines the coal, the everything. When the first or the best is dedicated to Hashem, then the kedusha, the sanctity of that, permeates the whole. Lahaniach bracha el besecha, in order to bring more bracha into your home. Everything becomes sanctified by the sanctification of a bit. The whole week becomes sanctified by the Kedusha of Shabbos. The whole challah becomes sanctified by the taking off of the challah. All of the money that we use and spend on ourselves is sanctified by means of the fact that we take off a 10% or 20% and give it for tzedakah. This is not the same, but I should just clarify. The word kol or chol here means everything. It's a chaf. It's not the same as, as beach, as sand, which is with a ches. Okay. The word kol, kaf lamed, is kaf is 20, lamed is 30. It's the number 50. 50 is the number of everything for various reasons. It is a number of everything that is created by one little piece of it being dedicated to Hashem, being the spiritual. Another way to put it is kol is the identity, the sum that is greater than the parts. 
So you count one, two, three, you count to 49 days of the Omer, and you get to 50. A 50, which is greater than the sum of the parts. The level achieved on Shavuot is, is greater than that which we could achieve in 49 days of working on ourselves. But you need the 49 days of working on ourselves. It's piece by piece by piece by piece. And what we find has been created in little stepwise chunks, like Kili Olam Chasto, right? That's Hashem's stepwise chunks. And our step, 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 that dedication to Hashem pulls it all together and gives it the blessing and gives it an identity, a sum that's greater than the parts. So it's true of Sfiras HaOmer, and it's the message of the sand holding back the sea. It's little, tiny pieces. In every one of these cases, because we don't have time to explore it, realize that it's the physical. What we're talking about here is a process of how does the land shape and, and help create the world even of the sea, which is more fluid and creative and going, right? Our actions in this world, making a bracha, cooking a dinner, right? Not turning on a light, not writing something on Shabbos, davening. Every action that we take is a little piece like a piece of sand. It gives the structure, it gives the shape, and there's a hole that is created by that which is easy for us to forget because we're looking at all the little pieces and realize that by interacting with this world, not only trying to look up into the spiritual world, the interactions in this world at the most fundamental Eretz level build together to create a sum that is greater than its parts. And the reason is because there's that 50th. There's that one little piece that is really the godliness that's not about us. And that sanctifies the whole. That gives a new identity to the whole. Okay? Good? Okay. I know it's sort of like a bit of, a bit of throwing you in. So it's a very, that idea is a very deep idea. But when you see it, you see it everywhere in everything you do. And it's very empowering. When you take challah, it gives you a focus to think about. You go back to focus, right? What am I doing in taking this piece of challah off? What am I doing? What I'm saying is, this challah dough is not about me. And look at the, look at the yihi ratzon that's customary. I don't know what the source of it is. Look at the yihi ratzon that is customary to say after taking challah. And you will be astonished. This is the message of it. It should be that this little piece that I took off should be considered like I did the mitzvah challah completely. And in this way, we should, my, me and my family should be nourished. Nourished by the bread and nourished by the Kedusha of Shabbos and Yantiv. Right? There is a holiness, there is a spiritual aspect that really is what gives the full nature to the, to the bread. And we achieve that with a limit, by taking something off. And it's a physical thing in the world. We do this physical action, and what it does is it allows this bread to be able to nourish us, physically and spiritually. If we wouldn't take it off and we just eat the whole thing, what do you have? At best, 49 separate parts. Bunch of flour, bunch of water. Like, what do you have? Right? The way that the bracha comes, comes to us is by means of this removing a little piece. That's gvura, restraining chesed, and that's our actions in this physical world, which are too easy to underestimate. Too easy to underestimate. Wow. Yeah. You know, it's a good thing we're, like, our davening time, I always say this, but 
to really think too much when dodging you know? That's right. Well, you have to know where to stop. You have to know what you're working on now, right? If you try to work on everything at once, if you're trying to think only about the word Baruch and then only about the word Atah and all, right? You, it's hard, first of all, hard to get anywhere. And second of all, compared to eating, right? You need to eat twice a day. You need to body. Your neshama needs to daven twice a day. It's essentially it's food for the soul. Davening is food for the soul. It's the we're not really supposed to spend all day davening because we're supposed to live in this world. So there's a piece of the day that gets dedicated to davening, sanctifies the whole. It's exactly exactly the same pattern. Yeah, which is why which is why Chazal compared it to bread. It's actually the kuzari over there. The kuzari is the one who says that just like you get hungry to eat, you should be hungry to daven, because it feeds your soul. It's, it's exactly that. The bread and the spiritual nourishment, the ideal is when you take challah from it, because now you've overlapped, you've created an exact co-extension. The two things have now merged together. When in bread, we can merge together the spiritual and the physical nourishment into one space. That's like the ultimate. And did you say you're having a share at 1 o'clock? So yeah, it's the lunch at Shelly's house. Yeah. Uh, so she's and I was looking forward to hearing her speak. <laughs> What's that? I was looking forward to hearing her speak.